Here we go with the John Carly Sherry Alico Shoe and you coming along with the ride. Don't forget you can write to us at MyNorthwest.com. Come on in to the Muckleshoe Casino Resort text line at one 973 All are welcome. Diving into the news. <clears throat> the um, folks in Olympia passed a uh, love how they name these these laws, these bills and these laws. Keeping Family Together Act, twelve twenty seven. I had seen Brandy Cruz from Undivided talk about this, and I said, "Oh, Brandy, you've got to get me uh, Tracy on the phone. I want to talk to her. She is a foster care mom." She herself had a difficult childhood growing up, and she has dedicated her life to making sure kids that are in the foster care system are cared for and loved and protected and safe. And she joins us on the line now. Tracy, I appreciate your time. Thank um, you, John. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I, um, w- you and I talked earlier this morning, and I'm going to lay this out, and then you can sort of fill in the rest of it. <clears throat> this is probably the best thing you said, that they passed this law, this keeping families together thing, and what it is, the way you described it, it's if a child comes into this world and they test the kid and the kid shows some signs that they've got drugs in their system, the mother also has drugs in her system, let's say fentanyl or something, and the mother also lives in a tent, is homeless, the state will say, that's okay, take your your drugged child and with your drug lifestyle and go to the tent because at least we keep the child and the mother together. Is that, is this hyperbole or is that a situation that could actually occur in the state of Washington? Unfortunately, that's a situation that could actually occur in the state of Washington. The house bill 1227 really raised the standard for placing a child into protective custody or having a pickup order or for the hospital or law enforcement to place a protective hold on the child. And it requires that there's a burden of proof for a causal relationship between the concerns about the environment for the child, including the parent's behaviors, and imminent physical harm for the child. And it's that language that really changed how DCYF and everybody had to approach keeping kids safe. You did a great job. One second, Sherry, just throw this in there. Something you had said to me earlier this morning. You said it would be like if you were at a party, say a Christmas party, and the drunk uncle says, hey, I'll head home. You know, I'll I'll take your baby. Uh, Just put the kid in the back seat of the car, strap him in the the car seat there. I'll I'll drive home and I'll, I'll watch him over at the house till you guys come home. And as you said, no one at that party with an earshot of the drunk uncle announcing, just put the kid in the back of my car and I'll take him home. No one would allow that to occur. No one. But yet in the state of Washington, in effect, we're doing something very similar to that. Right. We're allowing with, what Washington State is declaring safety plans, we're allowing people who we know have impaired judgment from substance abuse or substance use um, to care for our most vulnerable resource in the state, which is our children. 
Hmm. Tracy, you know, the state has spent so much money and there's so much attention uh, about mental health among young people. And it's no secret that a kid growing up in a violent home, a verbally abusive home, a home where there's horrible neglect, suffers terribly mental health issues. How do they balance this out, knowing that they are in an environment that later will cause them, if not physical harm, emotional harm, and not factor that into it? Unfortunately, with the way the law is written, it does not take into account anything except imminent risk of physical harm. So we're failing to help break the cycle for these children. And when we think about our future and what we want Washington State to look like as these children grow up and become teenagers and they start becoming adults, maybe they're having families of their own. How do we help drive them towards success? How do we help support them first? And Mm -hmm. what we hope as foster parents and I believe the public hopes for as they become aware of these issues that are facing our children is that we will put the children first at every step of our lawmaking, policymaking, and decision-making. It's too late now for 20 children, <clears throat> babies uh, and younger, uh, younger babies and a little older, that have already lost their life. Was the last year, the first two quarters of last year, was it 20 children died? Um, yeah, in the First six months of 2023, there was 45 what they call critical incidents, which is fatal and near fatal. Um, 14 of those were fatal. 31 were near fatal. And uh, almost all of them involved substance use as an identified risk factor for those children. Here's so another scenario. Yeah, go ahead. That they have seen a, a 22.8% decrease in kids entering out-of-home care since the law went into effect. But they also shared that they've seen a, quote, dramatic increase in re-referrals and fentanyl and opioid-related emergencies. So the the other sort of scenario is, so the state steps in and says to the two, let's say there's two parents, one of them, they're both doing drugs, uh, one will not do drugs during the day and will be looking after the child, while the other one, the dad, let's say, is doing drugs during the first part of the day, but then will not do drugs in the afternoon. So there will always be some semi-sober parent to take care of the child. A- and the state's like, okay, well, that sounds like a good plan. One of the cases I had read about was the mother who was withdrawing from drugs uh, slept for 18 hours or something like that. She went into sort of a deep, deep, you know, withdrawal uh, sleep. And when she comes to, her child is dead. That's correct. That was a very unfortunate incident that made the news um, February last year, actually. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, there's a number of cases that have similar stories that are on the DCYF website where they're required to report these incidents that occur. And what I find really tragic about that is we've labeled this law, the Keeping Families Together Act. Those families never get to be together again because the child is dead. And now not only do we have a deceased child who never got a good chance at life, but we've created a burden of guilt on those parents for the rest of their lives also, knowing that their substance use contributed to the death of their child. And 
Why would we do that to our families in Washington state? Tracy, I know part of the objective of this, of HB uh, 1227, is that they don't want these uh, removals and, and, you know, placing children in foster care to disproportionately affect children of color. But is the other factor that there aren't enough foster homes for some of these kids to go to? I have not heard that as a statistic. There are a lot of foster care parents who are frustrated with the system. There are a lot of social workers who have transferred out of field work because everybody's discouraged right now. I'm a healthcare professional. And if I went to work every day and and looked at my patient panel and said, no matter what I do for you guys, 50% of you are gonna die today. No matter what I do to try to save your life, 50% of you won't make it. That'd be discouraging and disheartening. And I might not wanna stay in medicine. And that's the same trend that we're seeing for foster parents and social workers and caseworkers. And we have to we have to right the ship to keep the right people there to stand in the gap for these families while they get the right supports in place in order to take care of their kids safely. They said with this bill that they wanted to reduce the number of kids in foster care, that they wanted to help address any barriers with poverty, they wanted to reduce racial disparity. Unfortunately, sometimes we still have to be willing to, part of that support system has to be people ready to stand in the gap. And we have to have the tools necessary to get the child to a safe place while we get those families safe again. How how much of it is also, maybe you can answer this as you conjecture, knowing sort of the way some people in Olympia think, that, yes, the person's living in a tent and yes, they're struggling with drugs or alcohol and yes, they don't have a job, but who are you to judge by your own values that that is not a caring, loving parent? And maybe they're not in a house that you would approve of. You're placing your values on that individual and that's not fair to that individual. Have you ever heard anybody say something like that? Yeah, there have been conversations where, um, they, they've talked about, you know, ed, judging from a place of privilege, for example, about how other parents parent. And it is true. Parents do have a right to parent. Um, and nobody is saying that somebody who uses drugs is not a loving parent. The question is whether or not you can keep kids safe while you're using drugs. And I would, I would argue that that's a hard sell for me. Mm. Um, I would also argue that somebody who is impaired from substance use, it's questionable whether or not they would be able to follow a safety plan of using their drugs on a schedule with their partner. And the other safety plan that we've commonly heard in the foster care world is we're going to give them a lockbox to keep their fentanyl in. And those aren't realistic safety plans to expect somebody who's impaired from substance use to follow. Tracy, is this mostly about drugs or are we talking about cases of abuse, neglect, a filthy home, uh, uh, those types of things? And if you use John's example of a child living in a tent, aren't there laws that say that already exist that if they came across a child on a freezing night in a tent, that that person would be arrested for child neglect? Yeah, 
So they wouldn't, my understanding is they wouldn't be arrested for child neglect. They would have to be able to prove a causal relationship between the circumstances of where that child was residing and imminent physical harm. So if they could potentially say, gosh, you know, I've got enough coats for the child or I've got extra blankets for the child, it might be a a hard removal. So Mm -hmm. DCYF is there to help keep our kids safe. This law has greatly tied their hands on their ability to intervene where they need to intervene because of that burden of proof, because of the increased standards and thresholds for removal. How many more kids need to die, do you think, until the governor or uh, Ross Hunter, who runs this whole organization, actually does something? I they, they made or encouraged parents or forced parents to vaccinate their kids because for fear of death 13 kids died in the state of washington since covid whole thing started a lot of them had uh, comorbidities and other problems so in this case you've had 44 uh physical injuries and 20 deaths how many more need to die another 20 60 how about 100 would, would that get ross hunter governor inslee and the rest of the people that said yes to this this law this keeping families together thing Would they then go, well, maybe it's not working? My hope is that there would be zero more kids that had to die for them to hear that. And that's why we're gathering together and we're rallying as foster parents to try and bring light to the situation. That's why we're saying enough is enough. And we're talking to people like you, John, uh, because we can't be silent. I always tell kids that come into care in our home that it is a grown-up's job to keep kids safe. And I can't look at the kids in my home in their eyes and say, I am doing my job to keep you safe if I don't stand up and speak out about this issue. Is there a concern that a child that you know that is in the foster care system right now could be taken from a foster care parent and reunited with a family that is not in the best shape to care for that child? Those are fears that foster parents live with every day. And all we can do is advocate for the needs of the child, advocate in the best interest of the child and work closely with the department to support safe families. Unfortunately, as foster parents, we're not parties to the case. Um, So all we can do is report on what we see and observe and what is shared with us. Hmm. Uh, There's a rally you mentioned. When is that? Tomorrow at the Capitol on the North steps of the temple of justice from one to four. Hmm. Okay. Well, listen, we appreciate your time and uh, thank you for what you're doing. And hopefully we'll put up we'll put up the information at uh, MyNorthwest.com for other people to know about it. And maybe we'll try to get um, somebody there. Maybe we could try to get Ross Hunter to explain why he thinks it's a good idea to have a child go, you know, with a family that is struggling. Like learn more about that lockbox where you put your fentanyl. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. All yeah. right. Thank you, my friend. Keep up the fight. Thank you so much for bringing okay. attention to this. All right. Yes. Wow. That's keeping families together. That nuts. Is that it's, nuts? It's, it's, it's horrible. I mean, I understand the concept that you keep families together because no one is going to love a child as much as its, its parent. But it's, it's, there are some horrible parents out there who are horrible people. And the 
the children should not be subjected to that. I mean, I know there's problems with the foster care system, but uh, the idea that somebody could could die because they they want to keep the family together. What kind of family is that? Wow. Oh, the sneaky ones. Here we go with Bucky's Auto Service Center, Sherry. I mean, you're aware of this or not, but they've got 16 locations, been around for 53 years. Take that car to Bucky's. Bucky's Auto Service Centers. Last year, 12 million people tuned into the Grammys. I was trying to figure out how many people watched the Grammys for the last one. Was it yesterday? I didn't watch, obviously. But, um, you know, there was a couple of moments. People were like, oh, that's kind of fun. That's interesting. Joni Mitchell sang, uh, uh, Clouds. Both sides now. Amazing. Both sides now. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, both sides now. Right. She's in a chair and they, she's turned in this chair. She had this walking stick and sang this. And I think uh, Brady Carlisle sang with her. It was a beautiful moment. A lot of good stuff. Tracy Chapman sang with uh, Luke Combs. Uh, as Luke Combs explained, they ran this video just before he sang. <clears throat> he said, it was the first song I ever listened on the radio. I love this song. Uh, it was my favorite song. The first song I ever learned to play on the guitar. He got a lot of flack from a bunch of uh, wokesters that he, oh, how dare he take that song to tr- from Tracy mm-hmm. Chapman. I mean, but he, like, honored the song. The song went to number one. Tracy Chapman, who hasn't really done much on concert and hasn't really been out there much. I think it's like 2009, but the last time she toured. She was- you got a fast car. I want to take it from anywhere. Cyrus, by the way, thanked every single person on the planet, but apparently forgot to thank her dad. That was a little bit of a, ooh, oh no. Um, and Morgan Whalen got nothing. And Morgan Whalen's weird because that guy was on the charts for like 18 straight weeks. Uh, he's a crossover artist. But when I, I watched this one guy who analyzes all this, and he said, you know, the thing is, is like, People that vote on the West Coast and East Coast and this stuff, they just don't get it. They don't get the crowd. They don't understand country. Well, that's not Hank Williams country or tight jeans country. You know, and then he, the guy listed all of the artists like Luke Bryant, who's never gotten a Grammy. But that guy has, you know, set all sorts of records and has, you know, just tremendous amount of fans, but never really gets the, you know, the accolades from the Grammy people. So Morgan Whalen overlooked again. Uh, by the Grammys, and he said, tweeted out something like, still a winner, it doesn't really matter, but, you know, I guess it hurts his fans. Well, he ought to, I mean, Jay-Z ought to take a lesson from him about not being a poor loser, um, because Jay-Z uh, got up and said, you know, that he felt like, first of all, keep in mind, Beyonce has won the most ever Grammys, okay, 32 okay. of them. 
Um, he has won 24, uh, but he's been nominated 88 times. So he got up on stage and started to complain about the fact that Beyonce has not won album of, album of the year and how unfair that is. Oh. Oh, that, oh, yeah, right. Sorry about that. Yeah, so he's apologized for it. By the way, it's, it's uh, Wallen, Morgan Wallen. I always say mm-hmm. Wallen. It's Wallen, sorry. But I do know how to play his songs on the guitar. I do this one especially well, Sherry. I'm going to sing this one for you when you come out this summer. It goes a little something like this. Andrew, if you would please. I got the guitar part down, too. This is my song about you, Sherry. Sounds good. Like this. on a pull to the party with a 30 sticker on the back window. You're going to be my everybody's problem. That's you. Somebody's problem. Somebody's That's you. Goodbye. That's you. Somebody's <laughs> I'm somebody's problem. problem. Yeah, somebody's goodbye. Somebody's Somebody's worst night. That's you. Somebody's worst night. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's a tribute song to you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I wanted to hear you sing it. I can't, I can't, because there's a delay. And it's, I mean, oh, delay. that's right. Okay, I understand. Morgan's I understand. not going to appreciate that. People thought also, oh, Morgan doesn't get it because he said that thing with a couple of what, what, years ago. They tried to shut him down because they yelled something to his friend. His friend was going in. Somebody videotaped it, and then they put it out there. And then everybody, I think they took him off. They wouldn't, you couldn't get his songs and stuff. Fans were like, screw that. We'll get it. Get the song some other way. They try to stop him. So um, that's it for the Grammys. I mean, other than, you know, Jay-Z. Being a sore loser, nobody ran up on stage and tried, tried to take some spotlight away from um, Taylor Swift. She got all the love in the world, and, of course, she's up there again. So um, I don't know how many people tune in, but good for uh, all yeah. of them. The, the, well, the New York Times gave it a great review and said it was really good. The other part that seems like I, I wish I never would watch the Grammys, but this would have been nice. They had... Um, some tributes. Tony Bennett, Stevie Wonder sang some of his songs. Annie Lennox uh, sang uh, Nothing Compares to You um, mm-hmm. for um, Sinead O'Connor. You know, a lot of people that yeah. had uh, come out and uh, sung the, the covers of these people that have passed away. So I thought that would have been a nice thing to see. Was Taylor Swift in the audience with her boyfriend? His Her boyfriend was not there, but there's some, and I can't figure out what it is, there's something about uh, her snubbing Celine Dion. Maybe Jacob knows that. Uh, I, I, the idea was, so uh, Celine Dion presented the Album of the Year award to Taylor, or, you know, announced Taylor as the winner, and it just, I think people were criticizing Taylor briefly for not really seeming to be that interested in interacting with or being that impressed with Celine Dion being the person she took the award from and and moved pretty quickly into just saying her her acceptance speech I I, I don't I don't know that the criticism right, is but that then then she took 30 point. seconds to talk about her new album that she has right coming yeah out. Then she started yeah. chilling for right uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's true and, yeah and CVS somebody said uh, so CVS probably didn't appreciate her taking 30 seconds of their airtime to promote that she has a new album but hey if you were up there at that microphone you had another album coming out and you're Taylor Swift struggling to make ends meet you probably want to try. <laughs> and not being noticed by anybody because it's not a given that that album will go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Woo.
Right. Good thing. Good thing she said something. None of us would have heard about it. <laughs> Just something. Uh, and now everybody's talking about the big game and how many times the camera will swing around over to Taylor. And um, there's, we'll get to the story later that there's experts that are saying, well, you know, I don't really think they love one another. This might be a fake relationship. They've even brought in lip uh, readers that, you know, what are they saying to each other? And they, they really do care one about one another? Is this all put together? Is this a fake relationship? Hollywood has have, had other fake relationships where there really is no love between the two, but they join together. And Sherry was really in on this. I was surprised you were just this <laughs> just font of knowledge of like, give me, give me one of them, Sherry, that you thought you'd heard was not real. Uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And they, they got together just to promote the movie? They got together uh, because they are both. They were both in Scientology, and Scientologists often connect people to move their careers along. Remember, Scientology oh, yeah. makes a ton of money off of celebrities when they're part of it. So, in order to promote them as this glamorous couple, they they put them together. Um, hmm. uh, who knows, right? But yeah, yeah, we'll have to get Nicole Kidman on the line to find out. <laughs> I'll give her What's a call that? during the heard, break. Yeah, no, Jacob's going to do. It. I heard that last. Oh time. yeah, Jacob. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I might, I might wait out Joe's return to see if he can <laughs> start that. put that on the list. <laughs> yeah. Teeny tiny lady, she's looking wow. She is on fire today. Sure, you just there. You are, Teeny. Monday. She always starts out good on Monday, but man, it falls apart near the end of the week. She, end she of the hasn't week. been. Okay, come on, Sherry. <laughs> She's like a college kid. Oh, oh, all right, yeah. Jenny, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Uh, she, things start to fall. She's like college kids. Like, oh, weekend around here starts on Wednesday night. That's kind of teeny's in that kind of mood. Uh, but you can write to her to my north. My... No, don't, teeny. That's not. Uh, you can write to her at uh, MyNorthwest.com or coming in through the Muckleshoot Casino Resort line. That's one 888 All welcome. Therapists now have decided that uh, maybe it's best not to sit on that weird chair that somebody else has sat in and the person sitting in their little dark corner. And maybe the therapist should just, you and the therapist should go for a walk because maybe that helps. We know that walking is really, really good for the brain and cortisol and all that other stuff. So now therapists are saying, let's go out and take a walk as opposed to sitting in this dark room um, where I chew on a pen or constantly stare at a bunch of clocks strategically placed all around the room so they know, oh, it looks like our time is up. Some of this uh, came out of the pandemic because there were new ways to have therapy, mainly uh -huh you know, online. And mm. so now there's something called ecotherapy. And ecotherapy is where you're out in nature and you combine the talk therapy with nature. So you might take a, um, a walk in the woods. Uh, this one woman in LA has everybody walk on the beach with her. Uh -huh. um, it involves a lot of movement and things. A guy has, uh, who's a big uh, runner, jogs with his clients. Oh, and they say that it gives them an opportunity to get out of that box of the office sitting there one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. The people that don't like it say, wait a minute, that is what therapy is supposed to be. It's supposed to be two people talking, sitting uh -huh. across from each other for 45 minutes, and the therapist listening intently to what the client is saying. If you're outside, you've got these distractions, there's noise, what if it rains? There's no way to 
alleviate that if somebody gets uncomfortable or there is mother nature takes over hmm well, i guess it all depends what the person wants maybe they can say hey we can go for a walk or we can sit right here and do this you know whatever is most effective for people there are so many horrible therapists out there it is nuts how many bad therapists think about it when you're in college the really messed up kids mostly girls were taking psychology classes because they're all trying to figure out their own life so they were the ones who are like woof they're crazy right then the therapists they grow up and then they're in there and you're talking to them you realize this person's horrible what they do where this one guy spent like 20 minutes 30 minutes telling me all about his harley because i'd mentioned as they sat down oh, i like your boots he's like oh do you like these oh well you know i've i've been riding a harley recently he's going on in this big 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 i'm like looking at it like what that's 25 minutes of him like talking about his harley and like, you I'm paid for it for that. Of course I did. <laughs> I saw like, like three times. Then he then he even said, you know, you should think about doing. Maybe you should think about getting a Harley. I said, <laughs> oh. this, is, this wasn't a the therapist. Does, this was the Harley salesman. Yeah, this is right. He doesn't oh, have yeah, a contract mine. I wandered into the wrong room. <laughs> yeah, you were. You know, we could get you started in the sports store. A lot of people start in the sports store and work their way up. Uh, uh huh? What? Yes, yeah, some simple, easy financing for you. Well, I did with therapy. Oh, it really does a lot to clears my head. I'm like, I, well, you could have done the therapy on the Harley. Why didn't you think of that? That's I mean, right. just oh, holding riding on, on the back of my it, yeah, around his big, big mushy back. Yeah, and then he you could, barely hear him. No, you just so you just do the dad, therapy. I came home. I was like 12 years old. My father was like, I never really did well at school. <laughs> right. I can't hear you. Where okay, do we get to the next life? Yeah. It's it's ecotherapy. You're out there in yeah. the elements doing what doing what therapy and clients do for each other. Communicating. Uh-huh. Yeah. Over the rumble of the pipes. Yeah. I, I, you know what's so weird? I didn't. Part of the problem also was I didn't want to like not go anymore because I didn't want to disappoint him. And then I'm like, somebody, like six times. I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so then I was talking to him. Then my therapy was, yeah, I need to be more assertive and like be <laughs> yeah. able to break sure. off relationships with with people. It's like, yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. Did you start seeing another therapist to talk about how you need to stop yeah, seeing the other therapist? Need to be able to. Uh, I know. <laughs> oh, he wasn't going to help me with that problem. That's not a problem. Don't worry about that. You've seen the Dyna Wide Glide, the new 2004 Dyna Wide Glide. I'm like what? Oh, I just stop going. Just yeah, stop. that's that's the way you do. Just ghost them. Go, oh, the ghost, the ghost, the, way, the Irish exit on all those. 